Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. My guest today for the Cappuccino is a man who's been in more stations than Thomas the Tank Engine. He's had a very varied career in the police. Uh, he's now uh, self-employed. Uh, my great privilege to introduce my brother-in-arms, Rob Roberto Masters, to the Cappuccino. Welcome. Thank you, Brian. So let's go back through your history. So 1996, he graduates from the Royal New Zealand Police College. 96 to 03, he's frontline in Wellington, and then he does some duties as a community cop and at the Crime Control Unit. 03 to 07, he's a constable crewman and a trainee launch master in Wellington on the maritime unit there, the Lady Elizabeth III. I'll say that again because that could be important for you. Lady Elizabeth III. Uh, 07 to 09, he's promoted to a frontline sergeant in Wellington. Uh, 2010, he's a staff sergeant, then a senior. He's in charge of road policing, internal investigations, shift supervisor and OC Wellington Airport. Got to say, those are all individual duties. They're not all stuck together. No. Um, you're a workhorse, but your shoulders are only so broad. Uh, 2011 to 2014, he's a recruit instructor at the Royal New Zealand Police College. He's an actor's acting practice leader, and he's the tutorial sergeant at the Royal New Zealand Police College. Also, again, individual duties. And then 2015, until he resigns, he's a section sergeant in the beautiful Rodney district. And now he's a PT small business owner. Uh, he's been a gym owner, he's now a tutor and a facilitator at Unitech uh, for their police studies course. Probably most important is he's a father, a football coach, a junior club president, and that is Rob Masters to the state. So you get pretty much there? That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's all, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when your weekend's off? Uh, anyway, What's that? Yeah, exactly, all right. So our pop quiz, I know you're up with this, because he's even brought a book full of notes. You can always spot the police college instructors. They want to be best prepared as they are. So most famous person you've ever met while you've been on duty in the police? Two people, I'll say. Uh, John Key, the uh, former Prime Minister, uh, got dispatched because there was a threat on his safety at the Omaha, is it, golf course. Yep. So we were sent up there one night uh, because someone had threatened him, so there was some extra security on, and it was a big auction, but at the end of the night he came up and said, thank you for turning up. Uh, the other one was, I can't remember his full name, but the guy who played Gimli in uh, Lord of the Rings, Reese Davies. Reese Davies, yep. yes. He came up to me because I was standing on uh, the red carpet and he said, thank you very much for looking after us and shook my hand. There you go. But I remember him obviously more from being in Indiana Jones. Yes, of so course, yes. Yes, you do when he played the yeah, Turkish man there. Yes. Good man. Uh, best cop movie or TV series, in your opinion, is what? Most realistic or the one that you actually sort of is your guilty pleasure on? <laughs> I don't think too many of them are realistic. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. But. Uh, well... It's not really a cop movie for me because I actually think it's a Christmas movie and that's Die Hard. God bless you. Yep. <laughs> but, and I had a good think about this last night, I love Training Day with uh, Denzel, Denzel Washington because yeah. he's my favourite actor. The man. Um, and TV show The Bill. Good old English. Nice there, uh, yeah. Bobby walking down the street. Lordy, yeah. lordy, what have we got here, sunshine? <laughs> yep, good day. Yep, you're Nick Governor. Um, Last book you read, or the book that you're currently reading? I'm currently reading Working Class Boy by Jimmy Barnes. Nice. And it's pretty eye-opening. It is. It's amazing. It's, yeah. yeah. yeah you, amazing. Amazing man. Uh, one word on one T-shirt for a year. What's that word on your T-shirt? <laughs> uh, exhausted. <laughs> Good oh yeah. Uh, here we go. Here's a different one. I know you haven't got this in your book. My favourite three sports teams are, in no order, 
Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Uh, you can't let them times three despite the fact that uh, Harry Kane is <laughs> oh, a gifted footballer. Yep. I, I, they're, they're stressing me out at the moment yeah. with the way they're playing. Yeah. Uh, oh. The Australian cricket team. Yep. I'm going to say that because yeah. I do really like them and Steve Smith's a great player. Uh, after that, uh, my son's football team, the Takapuna Wolves. Beautiful, good work. Yeah. And finally, childhood idol. Ooh, tricky one, eh? Yeah. Yep. I don't know if I had any. It would have been a sport. It would have been... Most of my childhood was in Australia. Yeah. So it probably would have been someone like Dennis Lilly or... Just as long uh, as it's not one of the chapels where... Uh, no, I won't, so I won't mention the chapels yeah. in, in, in this country. I yeah. know it's not... Uh, you still haven't moved on. <laughs> no, you're uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go Dennis Lilly cause yeah, it, yeah. And, and Tomo. It was always great watching yeah, yeah. them bowl uh, in tandem against the Windies or the, uh, or the Palms. So, Good yeah. week. Yeah. Nice week. So Wellington Central... You leave Police College, you get posted to Wellington Central. Uh, it's always a bit of an eye opener, your first day at the station. Can you remember your first day on the job and what happened? Yes. What happened? I was working with, I'm pretty sure it was Constable Grant Miller. Uh, had D number, I think he was, so quite experienced on group. Really nice guy, laid back. Uh, and we had a TY. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> he had a TY, let's oh clarify that. So for those <laughs> not in the know, a TY is an uh, accident in a police vehicle. So yeah, oh goody. So you got good at paperwork to start off with him, did you? We were going to, a, I think we were going to a burglary report or something like that, and he turned across the traffic coming towards us on Adelaide Road, and they'd stopped to let us through, but there was an inside lane. And I'm pretty sure a car came up and whacked into us. Nice. So, uh, yeah, but uh, a good group, uh, good group nice. that I was assigned to. Yeah. Have you ever been assaulted on the job? Yeah, quite a few times. All right. Yeah. Uh, how long did it take you to bounce back? It's a question I always ask all cops because I think people have got this uh, misconception that we're sort of, you know, we just get cut and then we take a couple of days of work off and come off back. But you actually, you can't see the mental effects behind what's going on. No. Um, it shakes you. I mean, even if you've got a black belt in the martial art, you stand there going, "What do I? What, if I did this right, did I do that right? Did I do that right?" Blah blah blah. So, um, how long did it take you to bounce back? It took a little while. Probably the, the worst one was it was on actually on a Christmas Eve. Uh, uh, we'd stopped. Uh, we'd seen a man come out of the pub and get into his car in Kilburnie and start to drive, and then he saw us pull up. So he got out of his car, and I approached him and said. Excuse me, sir, we're going to undergo uh, breath testing procedures uh, because you got in the car. And he uh, he walked off, so I uh, grabbed hold of his arm to restrain him, and he just turned around and jumped on top of me, uh, eye gouging, uh, punching, and things like that. Thankfully, I wasn't alone. My partner, Rowan, came on, and she was... Uh, she was battening him. Um, in those days, it was the old wooden batten. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it took, and and uh, full on battening. And uh, he was so aggressive. Uh, ironically enough, a school teacher. Yeah. And so I had my face ripped up quite badly. My eyes were bruised and 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 bloodshot. Uh, being Christmas Eve, I I went home to my then fiance, and she was pretty uh, shook up by the whole thing. And it, it I had, the the boss was great and gave me a couple of days off. I think I bounced back pretty quickly, but it was that you sort of you you from then on when you get that first serious assault, you 
you're a little bit more wary yeah. the next time. You, you're a little bit, yeah, okay, I need to be a little, especially with the, it's the jobs that you don't expect it to happen, yeah. that it's going to happen. Yeah, you're not yeah. wrong there either, yeah. yeah. And the ones that you don't expect to happen, uh, yeah, anyway, but the unwritten rules of policing. Um, what's your best Wellington frontline story as a police, as a constable? As a constable. Something that's sort of out of the ordinary or something a bit different? We, I, I suppose the, if you're looking for that, the big job, that sort of thing, most of my big jobs would have been on the maritime unit. We yep. had some big jobs going out into the, uh, out into the Cook Strait there. And yep. anyone who's been across the Cook Strait on the Cook or oh, yeah, ferries yeah, or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, the seas are big enough when you're in a boat that size, but when you're in the Lady Liz, which is a very capable boat, it was a very capable boat, uh, it's still, when you stand up and you're in the in the aft deck and all you can see is a wall of water uh, as the boat uh, pitches and rises it's it's quite an experience but we had a job where uh, my uh, the, my skipper and I were out actually just getting some equipment for the boat and the job came in that two girls had been blown off Batoni Beach by the Nordley and when I say Nordley it was a 50 to 60 knot Nordley which is pretty uh, yeah. just another breezy day in Wellington <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair that's a sunny day in Wellington isn't it? Uh, it was school holidays and it probably was around this time of year so that's when those, the spring winds do start to pick up in Wellington anyway they got into one of those warehouse type rubber um, rafts and as soon as they were 20-30 metres off the wind got them as it came down off the, uh, the hills there and someone called it in that they'd been swept off. So we went back to the base, uh, grabbed Barry, and we got the boat out. Uh, Wellington Harbour was a mess that day. You're looking at um, one metre plus pitching. Yippee. Uh, so that doesn't seem like a lot, but no. when you're in a little inflatable boat, <laughs> that's yeah. not yeah. That, that is built for the pool. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, it's big. So. It was hard to see them. It was hazy. It was overcast, like it very much is today. But the the sea uh, the sea spray in the air and so forth. Uh, we we I picked them up in, in my eyesight or through the binoculars just off Soames Island on the uh, western side and uh, pointed them out to Davy and, and we headed that way and we got to them and you have to pick them up in the in the the stern of the boat and um, the stern of the Lady Liz was sat well down. Davy was up on the top deck on the controls and you've got to back up yep. and backing a boat up in, in, in seas is yeah. not any, no. it's hard enough when it's flat. Yeah. Davy did, to, to my mind today, the most amazing job that he should have been recognised for, but that's another story. Yeah. Anyway, I dropped the dive platform that we have off the back and stood on that and effectively I was standing knee deep in water as the boat was being backed up towards these girls who the look on their face was just sheer terror yeah. by that stage. Uh, Barry was behind me. As we got to the got to the the uh, little raft, I grabbed one and threw her to Barry. He grabbed her. At that stage, the boat pitched up at the back. For my mind, all that girl would have seen would have been two half metre plus props spinning Jesus, directly yeah. in her face, yeah. thinking this is a... Yeah. The boat came down and slammed just in front of her, and at that stage I grabbed her and heaved her into the boat, and at that very moment, the raft sank. Nice. Um, I have no doubt if we'd been there, three minutes later they would have drowned. Nice. We would, and 
we'd been looking for their bodies yeah. uh, for a long time because Wellington Harbour's deep. So, yeah, as it was. Uh, she, hang on, she hung on to me while Davey um, motored forward to get us uh, ahead of the, the, uh, the waves and so forth. But they were shaking and they yeah. were wet and they were scared. Yeah. Uh, so, How old were they? Uh, early teens, oh, yeah. I would say. Yep. So, yeah, that was that was quite an experience for them and, and for us. Yeah. And, and uh, I venture to think they probably never went back into no, Western no, Harbour yeah, for yeah, a long well, time. Certainly read the instructions on the inflatable boat that says do mm. not use without adult supervision. But, yeah, yeah <laughs> great work, crew. Um, so you leave Frontline and you go and become a community cop. Whereabouts were you a community cop for a little bit? Up in uh, Karori, which is the western sort of suburbs yeah. uh, of Wellington, yeah. How did you find, because I found it was a little bit interesting for me, um, given the fact that who I was working with as well, but how did you find the switch from Frontline Police Officer to Community Cop? Because it's a massive shift in the styles of policing. Absolutely. Uh, the, the biggest initial change is that you're getting off shift work, so you're, you're yeah. working days again. Uh, I always found that, particularly with uh, suburbs like Karori, is that there was a big expectation on you, that you were their community cop, and they would be coming to you with things that you would just go, this isn't a police matter type thing. Yeah. Yes, it's important to you, and I absolutely appreciate that, and we're going to work through it. Yeah. Uh, so it was very much more communication, more dealing with the smaller things around your community, uh, a lot less reactive yep. policing. You were getting out there talking to groups, uh, resolving problems ahead of time, so to speak. So that was that was prevention policing then, as what we call it now. Yep. So uh, a different style of policing was needed. You had to be a, a, probably a lot more patient. Uh, whereas with uh, frontline, night shift, late shift policing, it was reaction. It was, you need to make decisions now yeah. because people's lives are at stake or dangerous people are coming at you or your partner and things like that. So yeah, uh, totally different policing. Uh, apart from advising relatives, because that is the hardest thing that I think any police officer will ever do in their career, what's been the hardest thing you think that you've done as a police officer? I mean, we've all taken those horrible steps towards a door, knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm sorry, your loved one's dead or mm. they're not coming home or something else. But what's been the hardest thing that you think you've ever done as a police officer? While that is the hardest thing, I, I absolutely agree with yeah. you, that connecting with those people or having to connect with them, I suppose the hardest thing about that, following on from it, is how it actually affects you. Yeah. Because it's not that you're just going to tell them that their loved one has been destroyed, so physically yeah. torn apart in a car crash or uh, committed suicide off a, a cliff or something like that. You carry that afterwards. Yeah. So that for me is probably the hard thing. And my staff would have carried that. The people that I've worked with would have carried that as well. So it's it's recognising that and and working your way through it. So it's it's... It's one thing, but it becomes two things. Yeah. How did you get? How did you get rid of it? For for me, it was like, and it still is. If I have to do an advising job, it's, for me, it's a hard PT session, or I'll go and do a jujitsu session, or something else like that, and just get to the stage where I'm physically, mentally, just completely exhausted, and go, okay, I'm just going to sort of let that wash over me, and we'll move on as best as we can. If I need some help, I'll ask for some some help. But how do you let it get, wash over you, so to speak? Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Brian, I, I'm I'm exactly the same, and I actually I still do it today. If, yep. 
even if I have a, a long day marking assessments or working with my students or anything like that, or it's just that life's being full on, I go out onto my driveway and I get the kettlebells out or I get the slam balls out or whatever it is, the boxing gloves on, and I hit things or I throw things. Yep. And I don't think there is anything better for you uh, than exercise no. when it comes to uh, just relieving that, you know, letting that uh, that lid off yep. and letting that out. But along with that, if if it's getting to a stage that it's actually starting to affect you, you've got to talk to people as well. Yeah. So uh, not bottling it up. Yep, exactly right. So then you go, you leave your community consul's job, you go and become a crewman, trainee, launch master in the Wellington Maritime Unit on Lady Elizabeth Three. How come? What made you jump from community policing to maritime unit? Because it's a, it's a big jump. It was. Uh, the Lady Liz was something that I'd always been interested in. I, 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 had a, I have a love of the ocean. I love swimming in it. I love being in it. Uh, it, it was one of those jobs that were, it was hen's teeth to get. You know, yep. you, that, you know in those days, you, you were the, had to be the right person for the right fit and so forth. And you would have done a number of days volunteering for duties and all that type I'd, of I'd stuff. Do, I'd, I'd done you. some work with the Coast Guard. I hadn't done any work with them. They, they didn't do a huge amount of that type of thing. I had started uh, training and trialling for the dive squad, that, which is yep. the Police National Dive Squad. And I obviously got to know some of the guys down there, and we would had been doing some training with them at night time, diving into Wellington Harbour under the wharfs and things like that. And then the crewman job came up, and, and they were uh, jobs that just did not come up very often. And I just thought, I'm going to have a crack at this. Uh, the community policing was good, but it was never going to be something that I was going to stay with forever. Yep. And I'd never really given a, a thought to... Uh, the maritime unit I'd actually always wanted to be a dog handler uh, and I had gone down that path but for reasons away from the police I stopped and and then the, the lady Liz job came up so I thought yeah you know what I'm gonna do it and I got the job and it was four great years now most of us when we think of police launch duties I don't because I've been out with some of the boys on there there <laughs> uh, they think that it's basically you know like pee house surf rescue except on a motorized boat wearing a police uniform um, um, so, what are some of the duties that you do while you're out in the water, apart from what the dramatic rescues that you just told us about? Uh, we would work with uh, fisheries. Yep. Uh, if they requested uh, assistance with anything that they were dealing with, especially aggressive people, and uh, or we would do routine uh, checks of the boat ramps for people coming back on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon they've been out diving uh, or fishing just making sure they're complying with conditions. We would often go out when the uh, the squid boats would come into Wellington Harbour yeah. and anchor up and make sh because immigration would go out and do immigration checks but they'd also do checks that the the crew on the boat were being treated fairly because there's a lot of reports particularly in those days of them not being paid not yeah. I'll tell you some of the boats you went on oh, make your stomach churn what, yeah. what you the conditions they had to live in. Uh, we worked with, uh, we did training days with Westpac Rescue, training days with the AOS and then the STG, so the Strategic Tactical Group, yep. with their boarding of uh, the ferries, we would be the support vessels for that. 
what else? Work with Coast Guard. Yes, obviously the rescues. Uh, but then we, we were also police officers and constables and sergeants. So we did go out on Fridays and Saturday nights and we would patrol our local licensed premises. We would do the beat around the car parks and, and the pubs and, and, and the wharf to make sure people were, were safe and sound. Off the top of your head, what's the funniest moment that you had on Lady Liz? <laughs> That you can tell us about. <laughs> no, I can't tell you that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, God, we had some we had some laughs on there. When you trained with the uh, with the Westpac Rescue, they'd they'd fly in to do their training to pick people up up yeah. off the back of the uh, off the back of the Lizzie, yeah. and so they'd use us for those, uh, and uh, everyone would have a go doing that, and. Part of the initiation was is that they called it teabagging, <laughs> uh, where they would fly back once you were in your harness and they would teabag you into the ocean <laughs> and then lift you up soaking wet. So that was always a bit of fun. Uh, but we, we always had a good laugh, you know, going out to the jobs. Or, yeah, it was it was because most of the guys that I was one of the junior guys, they were all well experienced police officers, so yeah. they'd, they'd been around and seen everything. So. Uh, honesty call and I had this come through on a DM I was like oh yeah I'll ask him that if you want uh, on the odd occasion did you drop a line drop off the it. back no 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 no, God, no. no. Uh, JB would not have been amused at, at all if, if we did that no. good man that's what we like commitment to duty yeah. alright so then you become a sergeant in 07 uh, 09 front line back to Wellington um, and you also as they very often do, an acting senior sergeant after a certain amount of period being a sergeant. What was the step up like from constable to sergeant on that frontline beat in Wellington? I'm guessing you were in Wellington Central? Yes. Yeah, because you've got, I don't think, just so that people understand, for those who have never been to Wellington, you've got uh, all the diplomatic personnel in Wellington, you've got all the parliamentarians, you've got all the government employees, um, so there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, pressure there as well yep. to get it right. Yep. Um, say as opposed national to, headquarters yeah exactly yeah. right yeah commissioners just sort of three or four blocks away yeah so what was the step up like in, in that for you was it a difficult step or not they, they often say that the step from a constable to the sergeant is the biggest step you'll make in rank in the police yeah once you become a senior sergeant and then to an inspector or an inspector to a superintendent that step is nowhere near being close to what a constable to a sergeant is, so yeah. it was a big step. Yeah. Because no longer were you now just responsible for doing your day to day day to day duties. You were responsible for making sure that your crew did their day to day duties, that they were safe as well. Yeah. You had to attend near on every job. Yeah. Not not just as a constable and your unit being dispatched to maybe five jobs a day. Yeah. You were going from job to job. I mean, okay, your paperwork reduced a little bit, but yeah. you were also doing everyone's checking everyone's paperwork at yeah. the end. So. Uh, but I loved it, mate. It was, it was, and today, still today, the best job. Yeah. I would. I, when I went to senior sergeant, it was. I was very proud that I went to, to the rank of senior sergeant. But off the top of my head, out of my wing of sixty, I think only five or six of us have been promoted that or above. Yeah. Uh, and I finished very low in my wing in terms of, in those days you had a position in the wing. Oh yes, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was, I was in the, the lower echelon, but I'm so proud that I achieved that. But when I went back to being a sergeant, I knew that's where I belonged. Yeah. And I loved it. Uh, good stuff. So for those of you who don't know, can you explain in your best sort of police college voice, uh, what the difference between a senior sergeant and a sergeant is in the New Zealand police? 
it would be apart from the pay obviously yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah huge huge jump in pay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh a lot more responsibility between uh, as a senior sergeant and you you you're up more making those managerial decisions yeah. uh, as opposed to making day-to-day uh, frontline decisions about what's being what's going to happen or we're here responding to things yeah. whereas the seniors generally either back in the office or, or back in the the watch house uh, and if you're a, if you're a shift supervisor uh, they do oversee the whole certainly in my day the shift supervisor oversaw the whole running of Wellington area uh, so that was my responsibility when I held that role and and I did enjoy that but I did love my time getting back out on the street because yeah. I think fundamentally most of us joined to do that yeah know, to, yeah you're exactly right there. yeah yeah so uh, and and this the senior was often the the buffer between upper management and the lower management the senior was there so it was always my job to take what was coming from above <laughs> and filter out yeah. what, what needed to go down to my down to my crew and have and a few and as they say in the business a few courageous conversations along the way here yeah. every now and then yes beautiful <laughs> um, among some of the roles you've done as a senior sergeant you were OC road policing and Wellington Airport so three questions for you one why do we get it so badly wrong when it comes to the road roading issues the the death toll the injury toll and everything else not the police I'm talking about yeah. but all of us as New Zealanders because when you look at our road toll like per capita per head of population anyway you look at it it's pretty abysmal oh it's atrocious yeah so uh, what do you reckon we get it so wrong I, I think it's been said a lot in the media I like listening to the likes of Greg Murphy you know the uh the race racing guy he yep. talks a lot you know, and people like him talk a lot about yeah, we don't drive to the conditions we think we're the only people on the road we look we look once we get into our car we li- we live in a bubble and we just think well if my bubble's safe it doesn't matter what's happening around me yep. and i don't need to be aware of what's happening around me uh you know we we we, we give motorcyclists a hard time for that they're a high feature in, in accidents and things like that but I look ahead I, I, I've taken what I've learnt from being a, a police officer and needing to respond to incidents fast and knowing that if I'm driving in a 50 kilometre zone but I'm above that limit to be there in an emergency I need to be looking ahead and I think a lot of New Zealand drivers don't do that you need to be aware of hey there is nothing on that corner at the moment Yep. But in two seconds time when I go past it, there could be something coming straight out of there. So I have to be ready to stop if I need to. Yeah. Uh, I think it's yeah self-awareness on the road and a little bit of understanding, a little bit of patience, and a little bit of if I take three or four or ten kilometres off my speed, I'm only going to be two minutes late yeah. to where I need to be. Yeah, And I think we've all made that comment of you'll see somebody driving and go, look at that clown driving everywhere. You pull up at the traffic lights and he's right beside you after he's taken all the, the, those risks. Yeah. And I say he, because I'm sorry guys, Ninety nine <laughs> 99.9% of the time it's us. So. Yes, it is. Uh, so after his one as an OC airport uh, person, after 9-11 our borders, like most of the world's transit points, become a little bit more hardened, shall we say. Yes. And it would be fair to say, uh, both you and I have policed since the mid-90s, that our borders were pretty soft. Oh yeah. Europe. Um, <laughs> what were some of the challenges 
at Wellington Airport that you face? Because that's, I mean, I know it's not hugely busy internationally wise, but domestically it's got to probably be one of the busiest airports mm. in the country. Same thing again, like Wellington Central, you've got politicians, you've got the government employees, you've got people coming in and out and everything else. So what were some of your biggest issues at Wellington Airport? I think that that is one of them. We, we said a lot of people would fly into Wellington on a daily basis from, from Auckland or Christchurch for work. So it, uh, the mornings and the evenings were very busy. Yep. Uh, you're right, security changed a lot. Uh, what you could take through, what you couldn't take through uh, was uh, affected, not just as a, uh, well, mainly obviously as a traveller, but you, as police officers, we had to start to be a little bit more wary of and looking at people that were coming in also not judging people you yeah. know because of the way they were dressed or who they were or where they came from and because it could have been anyone you know it, it was all fixated uh, on, on certain areas but you had to be aware of everything so it, I think airports around the world and, and you're right Wellington internationally is is not a big airport most of its flights are, are to Australia yeah. uh, I don't think they go anywhere else still at the moment uh, but you know we are a bit of a back door to other places, so you had to be aware of uh, who was coming and going. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, you've got all those visiting dignitaries coming mm. up from overseas as well. You've got like um, I don't know if you were there when a royal tour happened, or you had the president visit, or something else like that at the airport. But certainly, the the, the place, uh, even just with, when the prime minister would come and go, and, and when I was there, John Key was the prime minister. Mm. Uh, you'd have a flood of uh, DPS guys or girls would come in, uh, but it was our responsibility to be the the lead vehicle, so to speak, yeah. as he's walking out, yeah. and someone at the back as well. And uh, Wellington Air, well, all airport police are armed uh, because they need to be able to respond to incidents uh, within the airport confines or the immediate surrounding area. So, yeah, things got very busy when, when dignitaries did come through. Yeah, and then after the airport job, you go to where a lot of police officers say most police officers sort of go to die and live in, <laughs> in comfort for the rest of their, li their life, um, at the Royal New Zealand Police College as um, an instructor, a recruit instructor to start off with. Um, what, what was the jump from your position there to college about? Was it something you've always wanted to do? Or? Yeah, once again, a little bit like uh, the Lady Liz, yep. the recruit instructor jobs did not come up very often. I had applied for one probably about four or five years earlier and I hadn't been successful, but it was something that uh, I'd always wanted to do. Uh, I had had, I'd, when I was at the airport, I'd been taken back to being a shift supervisor very briefly, but at the same time I applied for that job. Personally, I wanted to move away from shift work. Uh, my son, Harrison, was about five or six years of age had he he'd started primary school so shift work for me was now something that one i was finding difficult to do physically for myself and two i wanted to be there for him yeah. uh, i'd been through a, a marriage breakup uh, so i was doing the the single dad thing as well so uh, shift work wasn't so conducive to that and being at, at the college, as I said, was something I always wanted to do. So I thought, once again, look, have a crack at it. Go for the interview, and I was successful. So. Off the top of your head, how many police personnel do you think you're responsible for? Oh, that have graduated? Yeah. Oh, just just a rough ballpark figure. Or as, as you very often say to me in uh, our messages, 
shaping the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what most wings were anywhere between 40 to 80 recruits. When I started, it was the... for not knowing the 271s <laughs> yeah. and when I left I think the last wing was around the 290s yeah so what's that if, if you if you averaged out at 60 seven eight eight hundred odd that's not bad you know and and at the end of the day particularly when I became the tutorial sergeant I was sitting across many wings and having a direct involvement with the whole wing yeah. as opposed to an individual section so yeah. Uh, there was an officer there, Jamie Bradley, I don't know if you knew him, uh, sadly he passed away from cancer a, a few years ago. They estimated when he received his, either his 25 or whatever it is, year clasp, he had had more involvement with police officers than the commissioner. Oh, yeah, and, and we were talking thousands. Yeah, yeah. At, they reckoned at least half yeah. the current serving force at the time, oh, which was around 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mighty big boots yeah. to fill. Yeah. What's the biggest problem that people face at recruit stage when they're at college? I mean, you've been on the other flip side of it, so you get to see it and sort of go, oh, yeah. And I know that you probably, they've got it worked out so well that problems are probably pretty much common problems going through college. But what's the biggest problem for most people when they... When they go to become a recruit, they go down to the Royal New Zealand Police College, they're starting off as a recruit, and, oh, hang on, here's an issue. I think, uh, first and foremost, in those in those first couple of weeks, three or four weeks, it's, it's settling into somewhere away from home, and a lot of people haven't been, a, a lot of the younger ones have never lived away from mum or dad's, or, yep. uh, so the, all of a sudden, the... the uh, the luxury, so to speak, a home and not there anymore. You're in a very small um, barrack room uh, with not much to it as well. You're eating with everyone else. Uh, it's very structured. Uh, you are up at seven and down for breakfast in the morning. You're in your first class by eight o'clock and it's all day long. Yes, you get a lunch break and you get a, a morning and afternoon uh, smoko break and you're working to five o'clock each day. After that, you're eating for dinner and then you're into study yeah. two or three, sometimes four hours that night. So uh, it's not a uh, it's not a go down, tick a few boxes. It's 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 uh, a lot of commitment, physically and both mentally as well. Uh, being switched on all the time. If you're not sleeping, that can be hard because you, you you know you're not at home in your own bed. No. You miss your wife or you miss your your husband or yep. your, your dog or the kids are not there. So it's important that you maintain that contact with your family that are away from you, but also have that dedicated time uh, to to your studies, which is, is what I say to my my, uh, my applicants that I'm teaching at the moment is that, you know, we understand you all have life commitments and, and, and family, I will tell anyone, there is nothing that comes before family. Right. If, if something needs to be dealt with and it's a family, you deal with it yep. because everything else will fall apart behind you if it doesn't. If you can sort that problem, everything else will be sweet. So it's about communicating and, and doing that, but making sure those little things are right. But then saying, all right, tonight I've got to do this amount of study. Don't disturb me. Get off your phone. Get off Facebook. Get off Twitter, Instagram, all that yep. kind of thing. But make sure you go and do half an hour's exercise as well because, as you said, that relieves a little bit of the pressure. Yeah, and I think like some people say... Um problem with most police officers, firefighters and ambulance officers is 
sometimes we love our job too much, mm. if you know what I mean. And like you say, we love our job so much that everything behind us is falling mm. apart. And we're yeah. like, actually, how did that happen? Yeah. And it's not really a surprise. It's You just needed to see the small signs. Mm. So what was it like going back to Royal New Zealand Police College? And work, I'm, I'm betting uh, that there were probably still some of your instructors there from when you had your time as a police recruit. What was, was that like? There? Alan Richards was yes, still I was there. Say Alan would have been there yeah. <laughs> but Alan was now in a what well, what we called then a non-sworn role. Yep. So he was in a teaching advisor sort of. So Alan was my recruit instructor. Yeah. Uh, for the, certainly for the first half, and then I had uh, Sarah Sterling, yep. and Sarah actually came and started working at the college while I was there. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think who else might have been there. But once again, much, very much like the Lady Liz, your experienced end of policing, and you needed that. Yeah. Uh, those officers that had, I mean, for me at that time, 2011, I'd had 13 years experience, and, and still, while that would seem like a lot to some, compared to some of the others that were there, Jamie Bradley, Tony Davidson, uh, Andrew Heffy, you know, these are guys that have been in the police for, for 20 years. Yeah, yeah plus, exactly, yeah. So, uh, but a great bunch of people to work for because they were so passionate about what they were doing. Yeah, and I think that people don't realise, they think it's just basically like a room full of kids uh, that are at police college and the recruit instructors talks and they listen just like at school and everything else. But what they don't realise is we have, now, particularly now, um, we had quite a few in my day as well, but there's people there with diplomas and degrees and everything else, LLBs for instance, and you were trying to define let's say something like assault to them, mm. and they go, so how come, where's the men's rear for that? And you've actually got to know your stuff. You can't mm. just sort yeah. of fudge it and go, yeah. well, it just is because I say it is. Yeah. So what's the, when you were talking about practice leader and a tutorial sergeant, what's the difference at college? So a practice leader is? So your practice leader is, is your senior sergeant role yeah. there, and they sit between the recruit instructors and the head of school, the inspector that was in the head of school there at the time. So they're in charge of the kind of the day-to-day -day running of the school working, uh, exam processes. Uh, the night of the long knives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those, yeah, of, you, yeah, yeah, for okay. those of you who are listening uh, and have no idea what I've just spoken about, there's a famed, I don't know whether it's actually true or not, but you can tell me in a second, uh, a famed sort of hallowed whisper go around all the recruit walls that every now and then the recruit instructors and the, the uh, practice leaders meet up and they have the, the night of the long knives where they go through the recruits sort of one by one and go, <laughs> this guy needs to do this and this girl needs to do this and they need to pick up on this otherwise. True story or not? Well, we, d we didn't go through every individual recruit, but you would certainly uh, deal with any that were academically uh, struggling yep. or any that behaviorally wise were struggling or, or not behaving in line with the the values and yep. the, the code so to speak of the police so that kind of thing would often fall towards the practice leader if the recruit instructor had gone as far as they could but things were not working yeah so uh, it would then step up to the uh, the the, uh, the senior sergeant uh, I wrote a lot of the exams, uh, moderated a lot of the exams, uh, and things like that. So a lot more away from the direct teaching and uh, sitting in that middle management organisational role. Yeah. It was only for a few months, it wasn't long, and then yeah. I moved to the tutorial sergeant. What advice would you give then, having been through that college system, in, 
as a recruit, as a senior sergeant, as a sergeant, as a tutorial sergeant, practice leader, what advice would you give to potential applicants who want to join the police now? What's the one piece of advice you'd give them if you were going to give them one piece? Listen to the advice, the knowledge, and I suppose the wisdom that these officers have. They're, they're there to help you, and you've got to trust in what they're teaching you because first and foremost, they're teaching you things that will keep you alive. Yeah. Uh, they will teach you the basic ins and outs of policing, and it will they will help you survive the first couple of years on the street. Uh, so listen to what they say, ask questions, but don't question them, is what I always <laughs> Smart say. Smart move, yeah, all good. Now, and I had uh, I had a mate of mine who'd been to police college, who when I came, I think it was like two nights before I was going to police college, he basically came around and went, nah, you won't need that, you won't need that, that's rubbish, get rid of that, you won't need that, you won't need that as well. So what's the one thing, you, if you were going to talk to somebody who was going to police college, let's say next Monday, what's the one thing you'd say to them? about definitely take this to police college with you. A comfortable pillow. Yeah. <laughs> I got told that. I was waiting for it. That's gold. If right. it, I suppose it just goes back to that. If everything else that you leave behind is sorted yeah. and you go down there and you're comfortable in that, in that little world you're going to be in for, and I think it's four to four and a half months, five months these yeah. days. If you're comfortable with that, uh, that's great. But take a willing attitude to yeah. succeed yeah. and and uh, work hard. It's yeah. not easy. This no. is, it's not an easy job. And you've got to work hard at a, as a recruit and as a frontline officer. Look, you, I don't think you'll find a tougher job. I'm not taking anything away from uh, other other jobs and things like that. The other job I'd probably put on the same level with would be frontline nursing. Yeah. Um, not firefighters because they just sit in the station. Yeah, exactly. Um, we yeah. know what they're like, yeah. don't we, Brian? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. You get a, I've got no friends left in the Zilla Fire Emergency Management team. Yeah, yeah. No, beautiful, thanks. Um, so then you moved to Sunny Rodney District as a section sergeant. What was the thinking behind your change? Because obviously you've gone from being a senior to a sergeant, and that sometimes happens. I don't think people realise that either, that um, sometimes to get positions you actually have to take a demotion. I know a uh, senior sergeant of mine who actually became a constable down in Queenstown mm. so he could get the position yeah. and they were all laughing that the senior sergeant was sort of a constable in section he didn't stay a constable very long but was that the was it just a change of scenery you wanted to move up to Auckland um, very much why why I moved from Wellington out to the college uh, and and you're right because when I took demotion from my senior position in Wellington to go to the college uh, uh, senior sergeant came up to me and said, why would you give away your rank? I said, I haven't given away anything. I'm still who I am. I'm still the same officer that I am. Yeah. And I was very proud to have those sergeant stripes back. Yes, I was very pr very proud to have been um, given my queen uh, crown epaulets, yeah. but those sergeant stripes still sit with me today. And, and yeah. uh, But anyway, back to your question, uh, family. Yeah. Uh, I'd been, I'd obviously by that stage done... 15 years of policing in Wellington. Mm -hmm. uh, the recruit instructor job I loved, but the time was coming to move on. Mm -hmm. Going, I could have gone back to Wellington, but going back to Wellington for me was would have been a step back because it was something that I'd already done, and I, I don't think I ever went back to a role. I always looked at doing something. As you said, I'd done so many different things. 
my my ex-wife asked me if I would consider moving to Auckland because she wanted to move up here for a lifestyle and for work and uh, my life is where my son is I suppose at the yeah. end of the day you said at the very beginning I'm a father and everything I do while not totally based around Harrison is very much guided by him until at least he turns about 18 years of age <laughs> then and, you're on your own and hopefully moves out <laughs> yeah. um, though given Auckland these days he'll probably be staying with me till he's 43 yeah. uh, for the uh, price of housing yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had always liked Auckland uh, despite what people say about the traffic and all that sort of thing, it's got great beaches. Uh, I knew, and as you said, I'd uh, I'd had directly been involved with so many people that had been through the police college that I wasn't coming to a city or town where I knew no one. Yeah, I knew so many people, and when I announced it on on Facebook that I'd applied for jobs up here and was coming up, so many people say, "Great, we can catch up." And and I also have two very um, old dear mates from school that live up here. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't going anywhere that I didn't know, but I was going back to a job that I knew. So, But it was in a new city, and yep. a new town. And, and yeah, a lot of people say, oh, you're going to Ariwa, you're going to retire. And it's kind of like, yeah, but hey, I didn't want to go and <laughs> go to maybe some of the rougher areas. Yep. It, was, it was time for me and my career to be focusing on my, my son because he was uh, changing schools. And, and that was the cool reason why I moved him. And will be, for the next little while, the main reason why I make decisions yeah. in my life. And in a district's defence, uh, particularly our Rodney era, I don't think people realise this, I've done 18 years in counties Manukau, so I, I can tell you the difference, <laughs> um, but the Rodney area is so huge geographically, yeah. Yeah. you can drive with your lights and sirens for an hour and 20 minutes and still not be at the place that you yes. need to be. So yeah, yeah I don't think yeah. it's the I think it's the same size as the Able Tasman National Park. So. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And I can I can tell you that we had plenty of jobs. I I drew my gun from its holster more times in one year in Rodney uh, area than I did in yep. Wellington yeah. <laughs> in um, eleven plus yeah. years. So. Likewise in counties, yeah. just quietly. Yeah. Anyway, moving yeah. on. All <laughs> uh, right. So so then you decide enough's enough uh, with the police. Um, and you decide to leave. How far in advance had you planned your ed exit strategy? Because let's be honest, when people leave the police, there's a number of different reasons. One, they either get disgruntled and go, actually, I'm done. I've had enough of the job. I'm focusing on other things. Yep, fine, no problems at all. Or they go, actually, you know what? I've been planning my exit strategy for the last couple of years. Or they go, actually, because of physical injury or something else, I just can't take it. Done. So had you planned your exit strategy? Or was it like, oh, well, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. And on Monday, I'll be looking for a job no there was a, there was a fair amount of planning and there was also a fair amount of a thought process probably around two years before I actually stepped out the door for yep. the last day that I thought I'm not going to be doing this for much longer but I've got to find what I wanted to do mm -hmm. in that last year at the police college in particular and, and probably for the last couple of years in there I'd started running boot camp type circuits for the recruits on the Saturday or Sunday I'd come into the college get all the fitness gear out and we'd have a good hour session and then a swim in the pool or we'd go and have a coffee or whatever it was so I developed a real buzz which I'd already started to do at Wellington but I'd started to develop a bit of a buzz for uh, fitness uh, it went back to around 2000 and 10 I stood there one night before a shift and I looked in the mirror and I said what have you become yeah. and I put on weight I'd done the traditional middle-aged guide started yeah, yeah. to put on weight I wasn't eating well and I just thought and 
and it actually was triggered by a very old mate coming up to me at a barbecue at home and going and poking me in the tummy and going what's this and I thought yeah. I thought you bugger for one <laughs> yeah. but not with that quite of that yeah, yeah, language exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I thought you know what he's right and it's time I, and now I had a young son and I now I needed to start to look after myself better so so I got to the college I started doing these circuits and I had a very good friend who was a uh, PT instructor uh, AJ at uh, Les Mills in town mm-hmm. so he gave me a bit of guidance and then when I moved up here I joined my local gym where I lived in Browns Bay and I spoke to one of the PTs there and he said and I asked him for some advice in regards to qualifications and he said Rob it doesn't matter what your qualification is you can do it here for six months or you can do it there for six years it's who you are as a person that will make you as a PT and I thought you know what if I can talk to armed offenders or people in their worst time in their life and this and that and I can uh, teach recruits then I can motivate people to look after themselves. So I thought, I'm going to become a personal trainer. Not wrong. And I know that you do stuff with applicants as well, and there's a number of others who have done that as well. Uh, My advice here, and I'm probably going to get told off for this, but look, I don't care. I'm looking (laughs) up that place. Um, If you go to do the recruitment test, if you go to do the PAT or the PCT, although you don't have to do the PCT anymore, um, if you go to do the PAT, find yourself a trainer who has actually been there and done it because otherwise it's like going to play for the All Blacks and not actually talking to an All Black. Um, Lots of gym instructors can get you fit to do it, but they have no idea about the mental barriers that you'll face. And let's face it, some of those guys, I don't know about you, but some of those guys that do those 2.4K runs, they're doing it quicker than a lot of the super rugby players do it. Mm. Um, I remember I was quite proud of the fact that I'd done it quicker than Jonah Wamu. Um, but he was still clocking in at 14, 20, so that was <laughs> a big shout out to Jonah because he had his health problems there as well. So um, so what was it like when you left? Was it a massive culture shock? Because um, you go from having like a muster room full of cops that you're talking to every day to, holy hell, I'm in my office here, I'm on my own and I'm basically talking to myself. I tell you what, I never slept as best as I'd ever slept <laughs> those first few nights and that told me I'd, I'd made the right decision. Yeah. Uh, we had... Uh, we had they had a bit of a it was a it was Christmas time when I left so they had a bit of a they had a Christmas lunch and morning tea on but they also had the farewell for me and 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 Ferg said some very nice words and things like that but Harris and I walked out the door after the immediate boss said what are you still doing here so well, I'm seeing out my shift I said no nah, go home so yeah. we ran down the driveway and jumped in the air yeah it was a good feeling yeah that's good yeah. so I knew it was right yeah. but it was yes it was a big change Uh, The best thing I actually did, though, is that I hadn't finished my PT studies. I actually bailed earlier, probably about six or eight months earlier than I'd planned to do. But I needed to go. There there were reasons for... And and no no reasons around the police itself, but stuff in the police. Uh, So I left earlier than I'd expected to, but I took a six to eight week holiday over the Christmas period. And I spent days on Arewa Beach. I spent days doing my study. I spent days at the gym. I spent time with Harrison. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's still the best holiday I think I've really had. Yeah, you can't buy it, especially when you're not thinking about work or yeah. everything else. Because yeah. you, you do you do that thing of, you know, you, I'm on holiday, great, this is going to be six weeks of vacation or whatever, and then it's week three and you're, oh, God, I've got three weeks until I'm back at work. So mm. you're not <laughs> wrong. So with uh, becoming a private business owner comes stress. How did your coping methods change 
uh, how have your coping methods changed from being a frontline police officer, being a frontline sergeant, to being a small business owner now? We've kind of spoken about it a little bit, but have they changed in any way? We've both sort of agreed that PT, a little bit of PT, doesn't matter if it's a walk, uh, for us it's a bit more strenuous, but just that general PT, are you still doing exactly what you were doing then to get rid of your stress at the end of the day? Uh, I, I still train a lot. I yep. train uh, about five to six times a week, but yep. I train directly with my clients. Those are the cli- kinds of clients I have. I don't stand there and yell at you and tell you what to do. Yeah, exactly. uh, I'm a big believer that if I'm going to tell you to do it, I'm going to do it with you. Yeah, uh, exactly. And uh, you've you've seen on my, on my Facebook page that uh, my clients like to have me there training with them, yep. and, and it pushes them along. So I do still do... The training. I do different types of training now. I don't do a lot of weight training, so to speak. Yep. I'm not in the gym on the lat pull downs or deadlifting or bench pressing. I don't. That's not for me because it doesn't clear my head. Uh, so when I started, yes, I was in the gym, so I'd I'd uh, take some time away from my clients and, and I'd do my own workout. I was sleeping better because with shift work, I was sleeping really badly, uh, yep. particularly on night shifts. There would I would go days where I was surviving on three or four hours sleep over a 48 60 whatever it is hour period and that was that was hard so I was starting to sleep yes there were the stresses of um, owning a small business and being a PT my my wage went down by near on two-thirds so that was hard but I survived you know people say oh you can't live in Auckland it's expensive and so well I sacrificed a lot I didn't go out uh, and I didn't have a huge social life anyway but I, I didn't go out as much I, yep. I was good with my money the important thing once again that was that there was a roof and food over the head over our heads for Harrison and I uh, so it it could be done uh, we haven't had a long holiday for a while but we're saving for that yeah. at the moment and, and we're looking forward to going over to the UK next year but uh, it can be done and but you've just got to you know Make the sacrifice. Make the sacrifice, yeah. Yeah. So you PT a number of people now, particularly a number of applicants. What, in your opinion, lets, and this is a question I've asked other guests as well who have been PTs or um, recruitment officers and that type of stuff, what, in your opinion, lets most applicants down in the physical testing? Where's the bit that they're going to fall over and giving up? That's what I reckon as well. You've got to... The mental thing is the biggest thing yeah. for me. Most people that tap out, so to speak, are not generally tapping out physically. It's tapping out because their head's saying, you can't go any further because your legs are telling you. Yeah. And I wrote a letter to the police association about this around the PCT and yes, things like I that. I saw that. That, and that wasn't a letter. That was an encyclopedia, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, yeah. It's, and, with, and whether it's in a policing context or a working context or a playing on the football field context or life the day you give up is that you're giving up a lot mentally and you've got to say do I keep going here because I can see that there is a prize at the end of this or there's something that I want to achieve uh, or someone is there for me if I get there or that job is there for me or you know and if it's money that uh, stimulates you then that pay packet's there or that prize is there whatever it is your mind will give up if your mind gives up, your body will naturally give up. Yeah. You've got to just say, and, and that's what I said, you know, you have to get over that wall to save the, your partner who's on the other side because they need you. Yeah. And I know it hurts and I know you're tired because you've been chasing or whatever it is and you've been lifting that weight, but someone's relying on you, whether it's your partner, your child, um, 
and when I say partner, your police partner, but yep. then your life partner as well, a family member, they rely on you and, and you rely on them as well. They rely on you. So, uh, yeah, mentally, that's the thing. Yeah, don't I think give so. up. That's... Don't stop trying. And once again, if you need help, ask for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like I see so many people, like for a lot of people, the 2.4K run is the big thing for them. They don't ask for help. Oh, look, I've played footy for years. I'll be sweet. It's a, it's a different type of run. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, let me tell you, I, I, from previous experience, when you get round to about the 1.4 to about the 2K stage, that's when your mind's yeah. playing games. Yeah. It's like, give yeah. it up, my lungs are burning, I yeah. can't, yeah. yeah. So you're right. Now you're at Unity. And, and it's not a run, it's a sprint. Oh, it is at a sprint. At the end of the yeah. day, it's two and a half Ks and just over 10 minutes. It's yeah. a sprint. Yeah, and it you, is a sprint. And you, you know, I don't like to say to people, uh, you're not working hard enough unless you're throwing up, but you're near on. You, yeah. you need to push yourself in that run because... What's the goal? The goal is not that finish line. The goal is the blue shirt. Yeah. And you know that I talk a lot about those blue shirt goals. That's your goal. Yeah. Don't worry about that. The small chunks that we're getting, achieve those. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter whether you achieve it in 10 minutes 15 or 11 minutes 10. Have you passed? Yes, you've passed. Next goal. Move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're exactly yeah. right. Um, and it's just like anything to do with physical exercise, you know, it's just taking those small chunks. Yeah. Um, you know, if you haven't run 5Ks for ages, then do a proper program rather than just going, oh, I'll guts it out for 20 minutes. Because we all know that's going to fall over within sort of a week and a half. Mm. Um, so you're now at Unitech and you're doing the police studies course there as a tutor slash facilitator. What's that all about and how does it work? Okay. So when you apply to become a police recruit and be part of the police, you go through your application process, which involves your, your physical testing, some medical tests, uh, interviews, psychometric testing, uh, your scope uh, and a, a few other things. Also, part of that is a 12-week introduction to policing, and that is facilitated through the Unitech. And we have a small team there of uh, we've actually got myself and two other uh, former police officers work there. My boss uh, Darren is a former North Shore detective, and John uh, was also a detective on the shore and in a few other places. So you got one police officer and two detectives. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just say there's often banter between the GDB and the uh, detective uh, uh, lines of the office. Um, And uh, so we've got about 40 years of policing experience in the office, but we also have some very, very good uh, uh, tutors in there with language experience, uh, certainly a lot of life experience, uh, and people that have been tutors for a long time, uh, people that have worked with, because well, obviously the police is becoming very diverse, so we have uh, some Pacific Island tutors that are mm-hmm. um, that uh, work well with our Pacific Island and, and our Maori students. So it's, it's a great little team. And so, yeah, you come and do this 12-week course. It's all online because obviously the applicants are all over the country. And we run uh, two, it, we, we work in, as it in the college, they're called wings, but we call them cohorts. And we have anywhere between around 60 to 100 students on a cohort. And they're assigned, and usually two tutors, facilitators to a cohort. And you will be assigned to one of us, and you work your way through the Moodle learning platform. There's certain assessments along the way that you have to do, and you have to also participate in um, group activity discussions. Yeah. Nice. So mental health is obviously a huge part of policing, these, and particularly in these days. Back when you and I started, it wasn't the pie and pint brigade, because I think we'd moved on a little bit from mm. that, but it certainly wasn't at the same standard we're at now with our mental health and our well-being and actually acknowledging that 
look, let's be honest, guys are rubbish at talking about what's going on in their lives. Females seem to do it a lot better than what we do, but if I put you back at police college now as the recruit instructor tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, talking to the brand new wing of recruits and said to you, to give them three tips on what they can do for their mental health as police officers, what would you say to them? Exercise, eat and sleep well, because if you're physically looking after yourself, you mentally, the mental side is a lot easier. Yep so to speak, talk to someone and recognise that there's a problem. Yep. And I think that's the biggest one. And I I challenge or would challenge most police officers, any police officer, sorry, to say to me that there hasn't been some part of the job that hasn't got to them. Yeah. And I, I suppose that's kind of what I alluded to. And, and you know in my last year in the job, uh, I was the sergeant of... Death. Yeah, yeah, you were. You know, yeah. you, you guys were quite happy when I was either coming on or yeah, coming, yeah, going yeah, off because yeah. you know the death. Some, de- it, some yeah. deaths have been dealt with. Rob's yeah. here, and 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 you know I went to about thirteen or fourteen in about a three to four month period. Some of them were were uh, run of the mill, so yeah. to speak. But we had our we had our jumpers. We had people of our age, Brian, mm-hmm. uh, guys having heart attacks because they haven't gone and asked or got their health checked yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, older older people their life partner dying in front of them and yep. them kissing them goodbye and you seeing that yeah uh, and you know the two big ones for me was the young girl whose father passed away and the 13 year old suicide out at Helensville yeah uh, they 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 take a big toll on you and it wasn't till the elderly lady passed away and when her husband got up and kissed her goodbye on her forehead that I realised that things were starting to get to me because I went home that afternoon and I picked Harrison up from school and I was sitting on the couch and I started to cry and Harrison said to me, Dad, are you okay? And I said, just a bit of a long shift, bud, but I'll be all right. And it was probably the first time that I really recognised yeah. that uh, that some of this stuff was starting to affect me and I would generally had just washed most of it away in the past but that last year was a really big year certainly becoming a father you get a little bit more and and, and a mother as well not yeah. taking away from the mums out there and you have children you tend to get you dig a little bit deeper into your emotions uh, especially if you see them hurting or struggling or anything yeah. like that so you begin to feel things a little bit more and I was recognizing that this is not for me yeah. and I'm not enjoying this that I, I had a great bunch of, of kids on my group, you know, coming in and seeing you guys and having to catch up with you and Brian and, and uh, God bless him, Nick Lister and things yeah. like that. They're always good. And, yeah. and us sitting down and having those little bit of a debrief between things were great, between changeovers. But you still carry that stuff. And you have to recognize that that is starting to have an effect on you. And the moment you do and the moment you then go and ask for help, that's when you can start to wash away. Now, I still carry a lot of that stuff with me. I had this conversation with some very dear friends in Australia a few weeks ago uh, because one of the girls I was catching up with asked me about my policing career. And she was just like, I just can't comprehend what you guys see and yeah. do and have to experience. And, and my good mate up here, uh, Mike, once said to me, 
and it was after I'd had to told that, tell that young girl her, her father had passed away and I'd made a comment on Facebook and he contacted me, which was really nice to check, check in with me, and he said, we've got different jobs, you and I, don't we? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. look, he's a partner for a very big accounting firm and he has some high-level stress. I have no doubt that different jobs, different levels of stress, but that emotional stress of seeing people struggling and people suffering because someone has died uh, and you've had to be part of that. I always considered it a, an honour to be the person that was involved in telling them that and being there to support them. But it it begins to take a toll. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to recognise that and once you do, then you start talking about it. And I've certainly, since I've left the police, haven't been afraid now yeah. or embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that lots of people in the police, particularly the younger guys, they will do. They'll go to those types of incidences. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm 24, 25. But when you start getting a little bit old, you start looking back at it. Just like you said, you become a father, uh, become a mother or something else. And it's then maybe things start tuning. And that's probably the best time to talk. I used to have a senior sergeant who used to go home and his wife would very often catch him sitting in the kid's bedroom watching the children breathing. Mm. Nothing else. And she said, I think you might need to go and get some help. Mm. Yeah, so just those little things. So, yeah, appreciate your honesty. And I know that you're a big, big advocate of mental health because uh, I see all your posts on your fitness site and everything else. So full kudos for being one of the stronger ones, brother. Uh, eulogy time. I know you've got this written down in your book because <laughs> I saw it. So uh, the day of reckoning has come for Rob Masters. Australia has lost its greatest supporter for cricket and rugby. <laughs> uh, it might have lost its rugby supporter. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be like that. Uh, what would we hope that they will say about Roberto Masters when he finally is in the uh, teak or canary yellow and green? <laughs> what, what would you hope that they'd say? I did think about this one because listening to a couple of your podcasts the, uh, the other day, I knew I was going to be asked this one. So I had to think about it. And as I told you, being a frontline sergeant was and will always be the best part of my job. And one of my girls said to me once, Natty J said, uh, you know what, Rob, no matter what job we went to, no matter where we were, if we needed help, we knew we could turn around and you were always there. Yeah. So he was always there. Yeah, that's all right. You can't so, argue yeah. with that. Yeah. Good man. Nice work. So question competition time. I have mentioned it so many times it's unbelievable. Uh, so thanks to our mates from Tactical Solutions. I'm going to give you the opportunity to win to, uh, a 5.11 hat. Um, so one's a Cryptek uh, camo design. If you don't know what Cryptek is. Perhaps you should Google it. The <laughs> other is just a stock standard uh, black 511 patched hat. The question is this. What was the name of the maritime unit that Rob worked on when he was in Wellington? I'll say it again because I know there'll be some people go, oh, I didn't get a pen down. Uh, what was the name of the maritime unit that Rob worked on when he was based in Wellington? All right, so Rob, uh, like you said, you're now a PT, you're doing fitness training and everything else. People want to follow you, they want to come and PT with you or anything else, where's the best place for them to go? Probably best thing is to get contact with me through my Facebook page. So it's Ram, R-A-M, which is my initials, as yep. well as the... That's not some strange association to sheep, is it? No. Well, it kind of is, because the Ram, uh, I looked it up, 
once again, Harrison and I sat down, we discussed. I do a lot of my stuff. I talk to Harrison about yeah. it. He's my, my sounding board. We were thinking about what are we going to call my business. I started with Rob's training. I just thought, oh, this is boring as hell. Yeah, that's pretty, it sounds that. like a plumbing firm just got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then my initials had always been Ram. And I looked up the Ram in Chinese mythology. And it is an animal of strength. Uh, and deals with adversity and things like that. Virile. Um, and so forth so <laughs> I thought ram and then it's just and what I'm doing well, I'm doing fitness training I'm doing strength training and things like yeah, that so uh, so ram strength and fitness is my Facebook page yep. uh, you can uh, find me on there uh, Rob Masters is on Facebook you can probably find me on there as well and I'm on Instagram uh, so yeah but the Facebook page is probably the easiest place so yep. so go along have a look at those Facebook pages and Instagram pages because I'm telling you now Rob practices what he preaches. He very often will stick up a mental health quote to get people motivated. Uh, he, you will very often see it. I'd sit there on a Sunday afternoon going, oh, God, he's out in his driveway. Again, isn't he? I'm, just, I'm looking at the picture going, and here's me going, oh, yeah, okay, I'm a bit tight. Yeah, okay, I'm up now, Rob. Thanks, cheers. Yeah. So, so when are you coming for a train? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> soon, brother, soon. I'll, you give me over Christmas and I'm good. Yeah, uh, February, maybe February, March. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it's all good. Yeah, no typical. Worries. So, uh, Rob, thank you very much for being on the Cappuccino. I know that it's been a big step for you. Um, like you were saying earlier on in your post, uh, the honours actually were mine to have you here Thanks, um, as a mate, um, as a colleague, um, and as somebody's, as I said, respect. Um, I hold you in the same esteem as those narco detectives, as all the other people I've had on. That's why I've asked you to be here, and I knew that you'd be brutally honest with what you've done in your police career, and also asking for help. So, appreciate it, Bill. Thank you very much, mate. It's been good to uh, good to catch up. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.